Welcome back to Ascend Student Ministries Anchored Podcast. Today we're in Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14 reads, Now at Iconium they entered together into a Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, into the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gate and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out of the crowd, crying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God, who made the heavens and the earths and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atalaya. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples." For today's nugget of truth, we're going to focus in on the response of the people as they are hearing about the gospel here in Lystra. Now, first off, we have to understand that these people are not normal Jewish people who have an understanding of God or what he's doing. They're clearly Greek people, as we see that displayed in their response that they have here. And so as they respond, they want to worship these individuals for the message that they've been given, and they want to assume that they're adding these things to what they already understand about their gods. And so they're trying to merge their reality with this new information that they have. But in all actuality, what needs to take place is a complete replacement of what they have had with what they now understand. And we see that they have to wrestle with this reality. When we look down at what Paul and Barnabas are trying to do, 
they both display and beg them to alter what they're trying to do because it's not what they have been called to do in this new understanding of the gospel. And so as they're working through their response, we see in verse 18, it says, even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. And I think that this is important for us to understand. If we're truly being a light in truly sharing the gospel with others around us, we're going to find individuals who have an understanding of what they think the world is like, who may try to add what we're speaking to them to that. And what this passage and other places in scriptures display to us is, no, that's not what we're trying to do. We're not trying to add this pagan belief or this cultural relevance or other things like that to the gospel, but instead we're replacing those thoughts, the society's ways, the ways of the world with truly the ways of God. And when that takes place, it has to be a complete reversal of what's there. It has to be a complete takeover of the truth. And so they are wrestling with this with these people. They're helping them to understand the gospel and how it displays the truth. Because many of these people might have just responded to the miracle that they've seen. They might have just responded to the fact that they had seen this sign or this wonder take place. And they don't have a full understanding of the gospel and what's going on there. And so Paul and Barnabas have to continually allow these people to see the truth of the gospel. As they do that, we see that this response could take a while. Because when we look back at verse 1 in the chapter, when they went to Iconium and they spoke in the synagogue there, we see that both Jews and Greeks believed in that place. But when we get down here to Lystra, we don't see this big belief that takes place that's truly this salvific belief. Instead, we see this individual response that is different than a true belief. And so that leads to Paul being stoned, and that leads to them moving to other places where they see these other things that take place. But that's not the end of Lystra or the response here in this chapter, because when we look down in verse 21, it says, When they had preached the gospel to that city, being Derby, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. You see, what we see there is continuing discipleship of these individuals after evangelism, and that's vital to them understanding the gospel. When you share the gospel with somebody, you agree to walk with them until they become a mature enough disciple that they're able to lead others in that same knowledge. We don't just evangelize and leave them in the spot that they are, but we will continually walk with them, unfold the scriptures, help them to understand, help them to grapple and wrestle with those things. Because it's only then when they walk through this path of maturity and understand what God's scriptures really mean, are they able to be the disciple-making disciple that they have been called to be. And so we want to make sure that we're walking with them, that we're continually equipping them, and that we're helping them through that instead of just releasing them into the world to flounder and to try to figure those things out. And so if Paul had not stopped with Barnabas and corrected this teaching, the gospel would not have continued to go forward in its pure form. Instead, it would begin to, to be meddled with the different religions of these areas, much as what the nation of Israel had tried to do when they had added different gods of the lands around them into their worship, and that truly destroyed the purity of their faith and destroyed the purity of their worship of God and was a great hindrance to God using those people and them understanding who God had called them to be and what his mission was for them. 
So I pray that this is an encouragement to us about the importance of walking with the individuals that we're evangelizing and sharing the gospel with so that we understand that they're continuously being discipled by God's word and helping to continue to walk with them until the point of maturity where they feel like they can begin to do that for other people and bring other people into their life to be mentors and help walk with them so that they're continually shaping one another into what God is desiring them to be as individuals who are following following his order and his will and his commands collectively with the community that God has placed them in. So for our question for today, we're going to focus in here on verse 19 and where Paul is stoned. And the question that I'm seeking to answer today was, did Paul die here and was he resurrected to life? So I've heard some people ask that question before. Is this really what happened? I think that we get some importance here when we look at a specific word in this passage. What we have translated in our version is the word supposing. This word carries with it the significance that they're assuming or thinking Uh, or believing what others around them are also believing. So this kind of cultural thinking of what's going on. And so the individuals drag him out, they stone him, and they collectively think that they've done enough to kill him. But there is no true speaking here that he has, in fact, died. Because what happens next when the disciples gather about him, they say, hey, is this some like magical power that when the disciples gather, that's enough to bring him back to life? No, that's not also what takes place. We need to look at what the text is saying. We have no mention of these disciples praying or doing anything like laying hands on him, but we do see a divine encounter as God miraculously heals Paul and allows him to rise up and re-enter this city. And so when we think about what's happening here, we once again see the signs and wonders, the miracles that are accompanying these individuals in the book of Acts are displaying that those people are God's voice piece for the continuing work of the gospel. We see that here with Paul as he's stoned up to the point that the people assume that he is dead. When these believers come around him, he raises up and he reenters the city, displaying that God is still using this man as his mouthpiece. If a person had been stoned to the point of almost death, they would not be able to just stand right back up and hop back into the city unless a divine appointment took place where this miracle is allowing him to do that. And so we see Paul will continue to be the voice piece of the gospel as God's going to be using him on many more missionary journeys, accompanying many other signs and wonders with his ability to boldly proclaim the gospel anywhere he goes as he expands the gospel influence throughout all of the known world. And so maybe that was your question today, question about, hey, was Paul really dead in this instance or what's going on there. Maybe you have another question from this text is we have a lot of different things here that are things that we may not usually interact with in our daily study of God's word. So hopefully you're seeking out answers to those questions. You're collectively studying God's word with the people in your life, the community of believers that surround you. You're using other tools to help interpret the scriptures and to help you grow in your understanding of God's word daily. And so know as you do that today, you are loved. You're